Welcome to Unleash Podcast. Our mission is to equip and inspire emerging leaders to take holistic approaches to lead themselves, their family, and the community. In this podcast, we will bring in expert insights to enrich your leadership journey. We are so glad you're tuning in, and let's unleash your leadership potentials. Hey, good evening, everybody. Um, welcome to Unleash Leadership Podcast. Thank you again for our uh, loyal listeners and uh, also friends who are on this leadership growth journey with us. And uh, we had different subject matter experts and come into our show and really talk from a, a personal leadership aspect and self-leading and leading yourself, leading your family, leading organization, leading teams, but also leadership is such a broad uh, perspective that even impacts, you know, uh, a leading a region or leading a nation or leading a community. So today, we're honored to have a, a good friend of mine, but also a mentor to me, uh, uh, Joseph uh, Henley with us. Joe, welcome to our Unleash podcast. Ah, it's great to be with you today, Balahu. It's uh, it's been a pleasure knowing you all these years and seeing what's happening through the work you're doing, and it's a joy to be with everyone today. Thanks for having That's me. Right. Oh, thank you. It's our pleasure to have you, Joe. Um, so Joe and I, uh, I still remember the first time we met. You know, it was, I think it's around 2008. Uh, it was in I was working at uh, 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 my previous job at Provision Foundation, and then uh, you walked in and uh, through my supervisor, Ned Kaiser, I got to introduce to you. And uh, that was, uh, that's how we met. So it's been over decades now. It has, and it's been a joy. Um, I, I'll never forget that first meeting. And then since then, I think we've met at least uh, a handful of times in Knoxville, Tennessee. We met at least once, maybe twice in Shanghai. You were living in Shanghai for a while, right? That's right. Um, my, and then we've met in California a handful of times. Uh, the only regret I have is that I've never seen you in Inner Mongolia. So someday we have to meet <laughs> together there. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Joe uh, right now lives in uh, Tokyo, uh, uh, Japan, but he uh, will commute between Tokyo and uh, California, where he's originally from. And he's, uh, this trip, he's happened to be here uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So thanks again for taking time during your travel season and uh, uh, make this podcast with us. That's a pleasure to be with everyone today. Okay. So, uh, Joe, uh, you know, recently you've been doing research and particularly on your PhD uh, uh, thesis, you know, you wrote a, a subject on a polycentric leadership. So what is polycentric leadership? Can you explain to us? Yeah, in, in simple terms, polycentric leadership is really a collaborative form of uh, leadership. So it's kind of a team-based leadership model um, mm -hmm. rather than a top-down kind of approach to leadership. So it's a leadership that includes others alongside of you going forward. So I think the easiest way to understand it is the concept of collaborative leadership or team leadership. Okay. Uh, so when you taught team leadership, is it more like a internal team collaboration or cross uh, uh, maybe with other organizations, other teams, uh, you know, not within from your organization, that type of collaboration? Which one is it exactly? 
It actually can cross over to be both. Um, it can be involved with the internal organization or business, but it also can relate to uh, groups that work in networks across industries. So for instance, if you're in a business that works with other businesses in other parts of the country or other parts of the world, this model would relate. Uh, in addition to that, it can be a multinational uh, approach where one institute, one organization, one business works in multi-sectors across multiple industries and regions and countries. So it's sort of all of the above. Of course, I had to do a micro study uh, to verify the results and prove that it's valid, right? Um, mm. So that micro study involved uh, groups that are more network in orientation. If you have an organization that works with several other organizations, how do they work together? And the research was based on that, but it can apply across these different sectors. Okay. Um, so how did you discover this idea and uh, what made you too interested in go deep on this subject? Yeah, I would say it's a part of my own leadership journey. In fact, the reason I did the PhD in the first place was I was wrestling with the reality of the world as it has changed. Uh, you know, the last decade or more, we really entered a new era uh, for global dynamics. And so I was wanting to get a better handle on how that could work. And I was kind of disappointed, I suppose, with some of the models we've uh, inherited from the past. So that really it's about my own leadership journey. And interestingly enough, a part of that journey includes the way I have led all these years. So it, it goes way back to my own uh, upbringing and working in a family business. You know, I was raised in a, in a home where my father was an entrepreneur running a small company that became about a, a little medium-sized company. And the way in which he ran that operation was my first kind of learning exposure uh, to this idea of polycentrism. And so over time, I ended up working at a university. And if you've ever been at a university, there's multiple departments. And in my case, everything I've done is international. So not only was it multi-department, but it was related to entities and other universities worldwide where I was having to interact with different groups um, and lead together. So all of that led to this journey that I've taken uh, with a deeper look at uh, global leadership as a study. And so I studied global leadership uh, for a doctoral dissertation. That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, based on your study, is it a, a viable model for global leadership and why? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, I tested the model out um, and actually found or discovered the model along the way. Uh, so far in this field of global leadership, there's only a few emerging studies and emerging trends in this area. If you were to look up Harvard Business Review or try to research Forbes magazine or any of the major business um, journals, uh, you wouldn't find a lot of material focused on global leadership. And so this was a discovery related to the lack of, of research done in that area, or at least lack of popular study 
Uh, the more I dug into it, though, there actually was uh, some formative material that's being uh, developed, one of which is called the GLOBE study. So if people are wanting to look at uh, these ideas, I think the GLOBE study is probably the strongest look at leadership in this context. Uh, the second would be uh, a few business schools are pioneering the idea of global leadership. So interestingly enough, the two schools that are the leading edge in this area are probably the University of Tennessee and San Jose State University. They are taking a deep look at global leadership. The third one is uh, University uh, or Arizona State University, Phoenix. They're also uh, taking a look at that. They're the leading edge of uh, looking at global leadership and business. So I, I drew from those streams, but I decided to take a look at what's happening. And as I looked at a, a deeper, longer term model, I was able to discover uh, six themes that make up this idea of polycentric leadership. So basically the idea of polycentric leadership was not really existent in those studies. The themes are there, but the concept is not. And so really it's a new theme that I tested in three different models. So I, I reviewed three different organizations and how they did this kind of model to discover whether or not it was viable. So when you ask if it's viable, what I discovered in the dissertation was this definitely has merit and is worth further study. Can you go uh, in details? So maybe you said you applied it in uh, three different organizations you are involved in. Right. Can you give us an example of uh, one example from uh, an organization you applied it? Right. So I'll, I'll give the first, the easiest example is the one I lead. I lead an organization that is involved in leadership development that currently works in 17 countries and probably will be in 20 by the end of uh, 2020. We're uh, doing uh, leadership modules now via Zoom, just like our interview today. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's allowing us to go into new countries despite the you know, pandemic uh, situation that the world is currently under. And our model of leadership in terms of a practical outlying of this is essentially it's a team of teams approach to leading. So not only is it just a team-based leadership, but it's a, a set of concentric circles that overlap with each other where uh, lots of diversity is applied throughout the organization and allowed to lead in local context. For example, uh, you and I have a big heart for Mongolia, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and even inner Mongolia and China. Uh, we have a, a desire to serve leaders in those countries. So in those contexts, we have a local leadership team that is led by Mongolians who are at the forefront of making decisions on the ground there in uh, Mongolia. So instead of me sitting in Tokyo or me sitting in uh, Los Angeles like I am today, dictating to the Mongolian team, how do you direct things? They have the freedom to make decisions on the fly based on our core competencies. So in the polycentric leadership model, what's key is a core DNA. 
What do you share in common? What is our vision and our values? Most of you have probably heard this in business uh, terminology. You have a vision, a mission, and your values. And you try to derive everything around those. So in a polycentric leadership model, those are the only things you hold uh, firmly. You, those are the glue that hold you together. But mm. when it comes to a local decision, that is say they're made in Mongolia and you be Mongolia. I don't dictate how they make that happen. The details on the ground are determined by the local team. Whereas in a top down leadership uh, formation, there would be a, a CEO somewhere in the world. Let's say it's led by Beijing uh, mm. and for inner Mongolia's sake, uh, a typical uh, older school model of business would be Beijing decides everything. And so whatever Beijing says, we have to do in Inner Mongolia. Uh, yeah. The difference with the polycentric model is that the local team makes those decisions. Um, yeah. They interact, of course, with Beijing, or in, in my case, Tokyo and Los Angeles, um, or wherever I'm based in the world. I, I tend to be pretty mobile. Um, and but that interaction has more to do with what we hold in common and that's our vision our mission and our values those are the things that hold us together but all other decisions are allowed to be made at a local context so that's probably the most practical uh reality or or way to describe it uh, the same would be true uh not just multinationally, but let's say you have a business that's locally there in Sacramento. I believe mm. you're in Sacramento. Is that right, Palerhu? Yes, I am. So you're, you're in greater Sacramento. And let's say you lead a company that has um, five different sites across the, the greater Sacramento region. In a polycentric model, you wouldn't be making all the decisions from your home base or headquarters. Rather, you would set the, the overriding purpose and, and direction and the core values that your company would, would work by. But the local team in northern part of Sacramento might make different decisions than they would in western part of Sacramento. And that's the difference in a polycentric leadership model. And the beauty of it is you get to rely on the diversity of the network. So the local leader in Western Sacramento might be either a different ethnicity, might be a gender, might be a different age, uh, might even be operating to some degree at, at different, like they may have a different market. So a different market demands a different approach to uh, the business. In that sense, that local leader in Western part of Sacramento could make the decisions based on that local context rather than the headquarters. So that gives a little more tangible expression for those that are doing uh, business in w one community, so to speak. Hmm. Seems like it's very decentralized model. So there are certain pieces, you know, you want people to have alignment, you know, just as you mentioned, you know, vision and mission and value. But then right. when it comes to really operation, and when it comes to flexibility of business model, when it comes to local expertise, you're basically empowering the leader to be more decentralized and they can make their decision uh, uh, based on their own context and situation. 
That's exactly right. In fact, uh, the research stream that I relied on he most heavily uh, is uh, a stream that's been ongoing for about 50 years now. Um, and it actually looks at the way governments operate, but has now applied it to police systems, to uh, farming and fishery and places like Nepal. I mean, it's amazing. The study they've done has been uh, big city Chicago, all the way to small towns and villages in Nepal. And it works across all these environments. And that, that research is called polycentric governance and mm. is led by the Bloomington School of the University of Indiana of all places. Mm. They have pioneered the research 50 years ago and it's applied to all these different sectors. And basically what they've discovered is that a decentralized model is more appropriate for running a governance system. So wow. I took their, their governance system and applied it to leadership on a global scale. And I, the reason I think it's important for businesses, even then small communities say like, um, oh, I don't know, Fremont, California or Fresno, you know, smaller cities, is that the world is so diverse today. You know, the, 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 the global village is everywhere. And in order to draw out the best strengths for our companies and our purpose and our mission, we need to rely on that diversity to inform us in making decisions and moving things forward. And a decentralized model allows us to do that. Wow. Um, so, well, thank you, Joe, for explaining that. And um, so you did mention, um, you know, six themes. Can you explain each theme a little bit so that we can go into details? Yeah. So the six themes I discovered in this type of leadership model are the following. Uh, the first is charisma. Charisma is important in, in virtually all leadership studies that have been done over the years. Charisma is vital. However, uh, it's, very, it's very important that we don't misunderstand that term because most of the time when we look at charisma, we think of a charismatic personality. Yeah. Someone with a lot of uh, firepower and excitement and energy, right? And yeah. uh, they get the troops fired up and they mobilize them, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And that, that, there is a, some truth to that. There's a degree of that element that's true. You do need a sense of being able to motivate people. Hmm. However, the single most important factor uh, verified in the GLOBE study related to charisma has more to do with integrity. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So rather than it being about how much personality you have or how, how exciting you are, it's really about, do you keep your promises? Can I trust yeah. you? Are you yeah. reliable? And so mm. the first theme is charisma, but it actually has more to do with your character. What kind of person are you? Are you, are you someone who's reliable? Are you trustworthy? Can I bank on you? So that first theme is charisma, but it can be easily misunderstood because a lot of it has to do with character. Yeah. The second, the second theme is called collaboration. And that's kind of the no-brainer when we're talking here today uh, because mm. of the collaborative model. 
Uh, for instance, uh, you had asked uh, what are models that are operative in the, in the work I do, collaboration involves leaders all across Asia. The focus of our, our work is in Asia. So it's important that I have perspective from South Asia, Northeast Asia, Southeast Asia, Western Asia, that every region has a voice. Because despite what sometimes people say when they say, oh, us Asians think alike, or all us Americans think alike, uh, the reality is a South Asian looks at the world very differently than an East Asian. Uh, East Asians have more of a, what's called a Confucian model of leadership that is typical uh, for the way they lead and the decisions they make. However, the South Asians, they do a guru model. You've probably heard of the guru uh, mentality, okay. right? <laughs> so those are very different. And in each setting, you need to operate differently. The same would be true here in the United States. The way I lead as a Californian is drastically different than my friends in Nashville. You know, the, the Southern kind of approach to uh, leading a company is very different than a Californian, especially a Southern Californian, and even more micro scale, I'm from Los Angeles. So that makes my type of leadership very different than say somebody from Atlanta. Definitely. And so when you run a company that's working across those sectors, you wanna make sure that you're collaborating with people from every different sector of your company or every mm. different region you're working in. Um, in, in, a, in a smaller scale, you might have a marketing department, a sales department, um, you would have the research and development, and then you have the actual product development. You want to hear from all of them. So a collaborative leadership model would say all of you are important and we need your voice. Mm. In addition to that, when you look at marketing and sales, uh, you may be trying to reach Asian Americans, you may be trying to reach Hispanics, you may be trying to reach African Americans. And so you want each of those reflections as much as possible to inform the decisions you're making as a company. Mm. Uh, let's, say you're from, let's say you're from Mongolia, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine the difference from somebody living in UB their whole life to somebody that grew up in a gear uh, in the countryside in a small town that only has, you know, 50 gears or less, 20 gears. The difference in those decision-making patterns is gonna be drastic, even though you're from the same country, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you wanna hear from every element of your uh, business or industry or organization. And that's where a collaborative model uh, is helpful. The third hmm. theme is communal, uh, communal. Uh, and this is fascinating, particularly for the work that I'm doing. I work in a, a communal oriented society. Everything we do is, is Asia focused. And you know, the Western world is quite different than this, although it's changing. This is very interesting. The Western world is more individualistic and the Eastern world is more communitarian. So for instance, I live in Tokyo. And in Tokyo, decisions are made as a group because we're a group-oriented society. So me as American, I've come in with my kind of uh, famous John Wayne cowboy personality. 
into the lifeblood of an organization that was birthed in Japan. Yeah. I needed to adapt to a communal approach to working together. That meant, mm. uh, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, three cups of tea. Uh, mm -hmm. Going in and having tea together and uh, having build life together. <laughs> build relationships, exactly. So that's crucial, especially in, in uh, more communal cultures. And if you look at Latin America, uh, much of Africa, even um, uh, parts of uh, parts of the Soviet, uh, you know, former Soviet republics, parts of them anyway, Asia, they're much more communal in orientation. So mm. decisions that are made as a community where you speak with one another and make decisions after talking with one another is really crucial. Now mm. think about that if you're from the West. Let's say you lead a business in the West and you're thinking, Joe, this is crazy. I'm from an individualistic uh, point of view. Uh, we make decisions as individuals. The reality is the West is changing. As the world has become more global and as we've moved into kind of a post-Western society, we are seeing much more uh, the millennial generation Gen Y, Gen Z are much more communal in orientation than uh, I, I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, I'm on the border. They call me a buster, baby buster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of bridge between the, the boomers and the Gen Xers, but Gen I'm Xer. predominantly a Gen Xer. Um, boomers are much more individualistic in nature. So for instance, let's say you're listening today and you're a boomer but you hire a bunch of millennials. And we've all heard the stories in business of the conflict between a younger generation trying to work with older generation, right? Boomers are making these decisions without our input. Millennials long to be a part of the process. And so even in the West today, whether it's Europe or America or beyond, it is crucial to become more communal in your leadership uh, that community is very important. So those are the first three themes. The yeah. next one is re relation. May, may I interrupt? You know, go ahead. It's interesting yeah, when you say that. It's pretty interesting. Culturally, let's say East Asia, Asia, most of the world is collective. But then, you know, I lived uh, professionally that worked there and done different things. You know, uh, I also noticed that actually in a collective sense, but the leadership is very seniority driven and hierarchy yes. and then when it comes to you know america sometimes yeah it is individualistic as a culture but then when yeah. it comes to you know professional decision making sometimes there's more team involved in it so yeah. you kind of like see this kind of like okay culture does define the general sense but the, yes. the minor culture you create inside the organization or inside the team that also you know it could be very different than uh, uh the culture kind of tells you and that's a beautiful insight, Father Who, because these are the things I was wrestling with as a leader. I mm. saw the world changing. Mm. And I saw these decisions that might be made more hierarchically in a, in a more contextual uh, uh, you know, society. And in the other sense, more democratically in a much more individualistic culture, right? And as I projected where's the future heading, 
and saw the merger of these ideas, I realized these are the kinds of themes that business of the future is going to have to be dealing with. As we look towards the future, we need to move more and more towards a polycentric model. Otherwise, I don't believe we're going to be effective. And of course, I was able to test it out and found truth to the model. So that's, that's what you're seeing there. Definitely. Uh, the, fourth, the fourth theme is relational. And you picked up this earlier when we were talking about community. Uh, why? Because you grew up in Asia. Uh, this is a no-brainer for you, right? For somebody yeah. like me, it's a little less normal, right? Yeah. <laughs> we make yeah. decisions based on the bottom line, not, <laughs> not on the relationship, right? <laughs> That's right. But many, many of the people I work with, the relationship actually is more important than the bottom line. So there needs to be the balance there. However, even in the bottom line, the findings that I have discovered is that relationship is everything. Mm. So if you want to work in business in the future, having a good relationship with your customers and with your employees is crucial. The employees want to know, do you care for me? Um, mm. are, you, are, you out, are you out for my best interest? Or are you just caring about you know, what you can put in your pocket? Um, and so leadership in the future actually cares more for the people. That's why human resources has become so critical today. That's right. Why do people care about HR? Why do they, you know, the word, uh, you've probably heard the word human flourishing, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of research is being done on human flourishing. Or well, do you remember the term uh, more popular probably the last 10 years, emotional intelligence? That's right. right? Mm -hmm. It's all related to a relational style of leadership. The more EQ you have, your emotional quotient, your emotional intelligence, the, mm -hmm. the more uh, uh, HR oriented you are as a company, the more your company will uh, practice uh, habits that are flourishing. And if you have a flourishing company, you will have happy customers. Uh, a perfect example is a company like Chick-fil-A. Uh, mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A, every time you go in, what do they say to you when you go up to the counter? My pleasure serving you. My pleasure serving you, right? <laughs> so they practice this from the get-go. And here, they're a company that cares about the bottom line. But mm -hmm. it's obviously they, they care also about the person who's in front of them. That's because right. it's crucial to treat people well. And so okay. the relational dimension of polycentric leadership is very important. Yeah. Uh, the, the fifth element, the fifth element in, in um, uh, polycentric leadership is called entrepreneurial. And this is really interesting. Of course, it's popular for entrepreneurs to do startups today. And it's really important in places like Silicon Valley and other hotspots, Austin, Texas, um, uh, there are even now parts of Japan that are showing more entrepreneurial activity. Um, mm. It's popular, but I found that this style of leadership also relates to human flourishing mm. because people want to have a part of making whatever they're doing. Yep. They want to be a player in the process, not just a cog in the machine. 
they don't want to just be doing widgets, you know, and doing my little part of making a widget. So yeah. the future of leadership really involves empowering others to make decisions. You may have remembered earlier, I was talking about teams in Mongolia making their own decisions versus Tokyo telling them what to do. Yep. Likewise, leaders in Delhi need to have the freedom to be entrepreneurial and how they do what they do. Hmm. So as I was describing this earlier, um, uh, Beijing may decide what the vision and values are in a collaborative way, and they hold those tightly. But Delhi has the freedom to make decisions based upon local dynamics. Hmm. And they have the freedom to be entrepreneurial in the way they do what they do. Likewise, mm. in a company there in, in uh, let's say, Stockton, just down the highway from you, let's say you have a small company, the marketing department head and their team should have freedom to do things based upon the best market trends that are out there, rather mm -hmm. than trying to do things like they've always done. Sure. You can see how this would impact even a, a, a corporate culture. The more yeah. freedom you have within your area of expertise or your specialty or your um, background, for instance, the more effective you're going to be. And this relates across the board, no matter where, what background, you know, no matter what culture you're from, no matter what industry you're part of or sector, it mm. relates across the board to allow that kind of freedom to operate as a part of polycentric leadership. That's right. And then fi people, finally, people like oh, go to, ahead. you know, people like to be yeah. feeling like they're being uh, fulfilled. People like that they, yeah. they are making decision or people like to be feel like they're, uh, um, you know, valued and their gifts and talents are being used. And then only way to allow that is basically empower them to to live, uh, live, live out that purpose or even like make the call or even, you know, make an entrepreneurial decision. Only that exactly. way, you know, those, those areas can be uh, uh, flourished. So as you and I lead going into mm. the future, entrepreneurialism is going to be key. Mm. And it's not just entrepreneurialism for the, the classic entrepreneur who's starting up a new business. Mm. It's not just for the company that's looking for venture capital to get off the ground. It's just as true at places like Hewlett Packard or Apple or Microsoft, as it is for the small startup there in Silicon Valley. Yep. Uh, the, final, the final theme is diversity. Um, the more diversity we have operatable in our leadership systems, the stronger we're gonna be. Mm. So I'm the leader of a group focused on Asia, but as you, you could tell by looking at me, I'm not Asian, you know, mm. I'm, I'm I, I look like I'm from the West and I act like I'm from the West. You know, it's, it's very clear. It's obvious. This guy leads a group that's focused in Asia, but he's not, he's not Asian, right? Mm. But in order for me to be successful, I have to not only allow freedom and entrepreneurship, I have to let Japanese lead in Japan. And it's important for me to let Mongolians lead in Mongolia. Uh, similarly, if you're, in, if you're in Mongolia, if you have somebody, uh, a part of your divisions in UB, 
but another part of your divisions in a remote part of the country, mm. you want the local remote teams to dictate how decisions are made in that local area. So mm. even though you're both Mongolian, somebody from UB will make a decision differently than somebody in a remote region. Sure. Um, or let, like for you, who you work a lot in Inner Mongolia as well as Outer Mongolia. Or sometimes okay. my friends call it Southern and Northern Mongolia. So okay. uh, I would assume, and you, you tell me, you tell us, if, if you let a team lead the team <clears throat> in Inner Mongolia, they're going to be run differently if, if, if dictated to by UB than oh, yeah. if they were the local team in Inner Mongolia should run it the way they, they deem fit, right? Yeah, definitely. There's, um, you know, general, you know, you have ethnicity uh, similarity, but uh, in terms of mindset, in terms of environment, in terms of educational background, all kind of things varies quite differently. Uh, so people are going to run it very differently. Uh, one is running from a majority culture perspective. One going to run it from a minority culture perspective. So that's a very different uh, uh, perspective you're going to have when you uh, are in that position. So it's crucial that we rely mm. on the diversity that's around us. And, and this applies mm. across the board. It's not just mm. regional or, um, you know, subculture related. It's, it's even things like gender. Having yeah. a female voice in what you do is going to be more and more important as we go forward in the future. Um, right. it, it involves age. It's mm. uh, crucial for my organization to get, uh, 30-somethings and 20-somethings involved because the vast majority of our leadership are roughly my age. Within 10 mm -hmm. years of either, either, I'm 55. The majority are between 45 and 65. Mm -hmm. But that means we're missing voices that are in their 20s. Yeah. And we need their perspective. Why? Because as the world goes forward, the 20-somethings are going to understand the cultural nuances of the future and the market and the conditions better than I will as a 55 year old. That's right. So that's why diversity is so crucial to polycentric leadership. So polycentric leadership in essence has six themes, charisma, collaboration, communal, relational, entrepreneurial, and diversity. Wow, thank you, Joe. Joe. Um, so I have another question. Why do you think this model is so important today? In a time like this, you know, the world is quite different today than in last yeah. century or even before that. Why is this more relevant today? So I, I think the world has become quite chaotic over the last 15 years or so. Uh, you know, the, the world today, there's a lot of tension. Uh, there's, you know, ongoing trade wars or emerging trade wars. Uh, some would even say uh, the potential of another Cold War is on the horizon. So we have these tensions that are emerging and it's easy to fall, it's easy to fall back into tribalism. You know, this mm. is just my little area of the world. Mm. But the future of our planet is more and more a reality that's going to be more global in nature. And I think in order to be successful, 
we've got to lean into that diversity and not give into the fears of tribalism. If mm. we get, if we lean into the fear of tribalism, we will be less effective going forward. Um, you just look at the, the dynamics of um, the, um, uh, what do you call it? The um, uh, stats of looking at the world. Uh, the, you know, you, you look at the future of uh, younger generations, they're much more diverse than my generation. Definitely. You know, I'm a Gen Xer, so I grew up in a world where the majority of my friends were, looked just like me. Um, whereas, you know, maybe 20% of my friends were from other cultures. Mm -hmm. Today, if you're growing up in today's world, the likelihood of a lot more <clears throat> diversity surrounding you is a lot higher. And so Definitely. that will just continue to build over time. And so the more we lean into tribal forms of leadership, the less effective we're going to be. That's so right. we are desperate for a world that needs polycentric uh, model of leadership. Let me tell one story. Um, and this will be a resource that you know, uh, people will want to tap into later. Uh, there's a, a, a general in the U.S. military named General Stanley McChrystal. And he was in charge of the uh, campaign of the war during the, uh, when, when Al-Qaeda was at prevalence around the world. And there was a, a challenge because what, what McChrystal described as the most powerful, most efficient, most uh, successful military that had ever been developed worldwide. At that era was the US military. They could not figure out how to defeat Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda was amorphous. They could not find them. And so General Stanley McChrystal, along with the team, had to adapt that model and move into a much more polycentric model of, of leadership. Mm -hmm. That means they had to empower. They had to move from a, a top-down, the generals tell us what to do on the ground in Iraq, or the generals tell us what to do in Iran or, or uh, Afghanistan, to the team on the ground in Afghanistan knows the local situation better than I do watching a satellite from a, uh, a ship in the Persian Gulf. You know, the old model would have said everything is dictated by the general sitting on the aircraft carrier in the center of the Persian Gulf. They realized that was not effective because Al-Qaeda was very mobile. Mm. They were very diffused. They were very decentralized. And so they could slip away no matter what the US, government, US military was doing. So McChrystal developed an approach that is polycentric in nature. And he called it a team of teams. So it's, a, it's not just a team-based leadership, but it's a team of teams. And so if there's one resource I'd strongly recommend for people to get today, it's General McChrystal's book, Team of Teams. Mm. So that's why I think this model is very crucial for the, for the future of our world, because what McChrystal described with dealing with Al-Qaeda is increasingly the challenge we're facing as a planet today. And it doesn't matter if you're an NGO, a nonprofit in the West, or a for-profit company, 
a huge institution or a small entrepreneurship, this kind of model will bode you well going into the future. Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, uh, that was a really good um, um, story towards the end that you shared with us uh, to also kind of illustrate the bigger picture the world is heading towards. That you're absolutely right. You know, my son is a, a, in a seventh grade, you know, 60% uh, um, of kids he grew up actually speak English, don't speak English at home uh, wow. in California. Yeah. So that, yeah. that tell you how diverse they are, you know, um, uh, so my kids will not be growing up like I did grow up and would not certainly be different than the world you grown up uh, that people look like us and the world right. organizations and uh, we're have much more complex problems we're trying to solve and uh, uh, work on and we have to be more interdependent. We have to learn how to collaborate better. We also learn to withdraw wisdom from all different uh, journey of people to work on it. Uh, so I think, you know, I appreciate your time and your wisdom around this subject, but also sharing uh, your time with our audience. So before we end, I'm going to ask the last question. Uh, so just based on the network of leaders, you know, who are listening to our podcast, you know, some are entrepreneurs, some are NGO leaders, some are working as student movement or some are church leaders or some are just, uh, you know, uh, young professionals, you know, uh, if they hear about this podcast, uh, if there's anything that practical they want to take away to apply in their leadership journey from polycentric leadership, what would you suggest them? So I, I would say the more you can lean into a collaborative model and draw from the diversity that exists in your company or in NGO, the better. Um, look at the talent you have on your team and assess saying, oh, we don't have any women on my team. Maybe we need to recruit somebody who can represent a different gender. Um, or let's say you look at your company and you realize, wow, we're all white male. Um, we need to have some uh, African-American voices or, um, you know, Asian-American voices. Or let, let's say you're there in Mongolia and or inner Mongolia and you realize, wow, there's Han Chinese, there's Mongolian, there's other ethnic groups. We need to get as much talent as we can around us to collaborate together. And the key, as you were referring to earlier, was empowering people. So they mm. feel like they have a voice in that process. So it's a, mm. it's a mixture of collaborative uh, uh, teamwork that is coming from rich diversity to mm. empowerment so that people gotcha. feel like they have a voice and a part of the decision-making of the future. Yeah. That would be my, my simplest form of advice. Um, I would recommend a few resources. Uh, General Stanley McChrystal's book is genius at mm. presenting an idea of team of teams. I would highly recommend it. Um, I will be coming out soon with a website called polycentricleadership.com. It's not yet published, but we will put resources on that site. And then the final, the final recommendation I have is for people to look at a matrix-oriented leadership style. So that's an emerging trend in, uh, in business and in companies today. Look at a matrix-oriented style of leadership. And that matrix is a lot in common with polycentric leadership. Hmm. 
Well, Joe, thank you again uh, being on our show, and uh, I'm grateful for um, us, you know, walking together, serving together, but also uh, all these years have been, uh, you know, um, learning from you and uh, just look up to you a lot as a as a leader. Um, uh, to our audience, thanks again uh, for uh, time with us, and hope this podcast was helpful to your leadership journey. But something you learned from this podcast can not only apply into your personal growth but also apply to the people that you influence around you uh, at your organization, at your team, at your business, or even at your non-for-profit or in the organization you lead. Thanks again, growing with us on this leadership journey together. See you next time. Bye-bye. Yeah, great to be with you today. Thanks, Balaru. Unleash Podcast was brought to you by Asia Leadership Development Network. In this podcast, we will discuss topics related to leadership, personal development, family, mental and emotional health, business entrepreneurship, organizational and community leadership, and more. For a better tomorrow, we strive today. Thank you for joining us.